hey, friends, listeners, new listeners, long-time listeners, who knows? Hey, welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein. I'm in Lawrence, Kansas, and I'm getting to do this fun part of my day that balances some of the harder parts of my own work, where I get to talk to people who create different kinds of art, mostly written art, because of course this is a podcast. And I get to hear and you get to hear some new work from people who maybe you're meeting for the first time. Maybe you followed this person before, who knows? And and I'm smiling lately about the way that, that guests are connected. And and as I posted on the talk with me Facebook. I'm kind of counting degrees of separation from John Yamras, who's an amazing person and poem poets in uh, Pennsylvania. And you can see that on talk with me. I'm not going to explain all that right now, but but um, from one person to another person to another person to another person is the way internet and other connections are supposed to work, and it works. And I'm excited. I saw a poem by this person posted by. Brenton Booth, who's actually in Australia, um, and said, oh man, I'd love to talk to this person, and Brenton helped make it happen. So thank you, Brenton Booth, and I get to welcome to talk with me, James Decay. Welcome, James. Hello. Hi, hey. <laughs> Everyone near and far. Yeah, you're welcome. It's really cool because I love that Brenton is far away in Australia, and an illustrator that he and lots of people work with, Yana Carlson, is in Sweden. And those are two of the people who will be here in this show, which is very cool. And people in all different parts of the United States, and Wolfgang Karsten's up in Canada, maybe Mark Statman down in Mexico, who knows? So I would love for you to tell just a little bit of your story, a little bit of sort of who you are, um, your intro. To our listeners. Oh man, um, <clears throat> I don't want to take up the whole hour, so I'll just give you a quick run through, I suppose. Okay. Um, you know, I, I grew up out in the boonies of uh, Illinois, and uh, at a young age, I left home. I guess I was always kind of rebellious. I was a wild child. Had a little bit of wonder. Lost in me, and I, I took off to the West Coast, and, you know, that's really where my education and life began. Um, I was raised on the streets um, and uh, taught from a variety of, I guess, people would consider the dregs of society. I don't, I would never label um, them that, uh, just because I knew a different side of them. Um, and from there, um, you know, I, I, uh, throughout that whole time, I would, I would always kind of retreat to the library, um, you know, cause I stopped going to school at a very young age and I always had an interest in the written word and, you know, that was kind of my sanctuary were these libraries and, uh, over the years I continued to read even through, you know, some of the harder times and incarceration and, and things like that. And uh, it was later on in life, in my uh, late 20s, early 30s, I did my last stint in prison. And that's really where I took an interest in uh, 
literature and poetry and uh I started kind of dabbling in it and uh writing myself and oh, wow. uh upon my release that kind of became my focus. Um of course I worked odd jobs and things like that and turned away from that lifestyle I was living and uh you know, tried to walk the straight line but you know a, a lot of what helped me was was the written word and um, mm-hmm. finding a community and uh, places like open mics and things like that uh, so I'm not sure what else to say that's you know? beautiful to hear and honestly you know I don't want to in any way minimize the harshness of life that you led that got you to this point but what connected me to a focus on artists and writers in particular was so many people who would say that their art literally saved their lives, that it really was what what gets them is still what gets them through the hardest of times, the darkest of thoughts and emotion. And, and so that reminder of the personal importance of art written and otherwise, and also the connecting part. And as you just said, you know, it gave you a community. So there's that kind of connection on the personal level. And what I am sure you also know is that when people read your work or hear you read it, there are also people who are going, man, he's saying stuff that is like my experience. And they feel connection on that level too, which is so powerful and so important. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to meet some people, especially when I was, you know, released um, from prison. I met a a woman who has taught me a lot about myself, you know, Mm -hmm. taught me how to love myself and um, that I didn't have to be what I was. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have to be the mistakes that I had made, Mm -hmm. you know, that I could that I could be whoever I wanted and I could recreate myself. You know, our past doesn't have to determine our future. Exactly. You know, we're, we're capable of, of changing. If we can, if we can truly make a change in our hearts, you know, we can, we can make a change in our lives. And, you know, sometimes that can not only, you know, it can benefit other people that are, yes. that are struggling. Yeah. yeah. It's an inspiration. I mean, uh, that's one of the things is for somebody to go, okay, this guy who's writing this stuff had to deal with really hard stuff, and he's able to create these beautiful words that are helpful to people and do other things in his life, you know? And so this is somebody that I can relate to and go, okay, maybe I can get there too, you know? whether it's not necessarily that the person's going to become a poet, but that, that idea that you can really turn things around in your life. And not that it's easy, man. I'm sure you're not saying it's easy, but it's possible. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to do, and it wasn't an overnight thing for me. It wasn't like a switch went off, and I was like, aha. You know, I mean, it, it took a lot of work, uh-huh. um, a lot of soul-searching, and you know, some therapy <laughs> uh-huh. and just 
you know, a lot of looking inside myself and getting to the core of, of what was really driving um, some of these actions, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, pulling it up from the roots and getting rid of it, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and uh, moving forward with my life. That's very impressive and powerful. And you said to a certain extent, you know, you, you, you said that there was somebody that you met who really helped with that journey, who kind of opened your eyes. And, and when I hear that, I think about that in two ways. One is that sometimes we encounter those people who really are wonderful people in our lives. The other part is we have to be open to that. You know, um, it's so it's not all on that other person who swoops in and helps us in all these ways. It also takes us being open to that, to, to have that happen, which is a very beautiful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about timing, too. You know, I've, I've found that, that life is, is very much about timing, uh-huh. you know, <clears throat> and um, when we met, it was just... It was just uh, the right time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we were we were supposed to meet at that time, and it was a time of transformation for me. And I don't know if everybody, you know, goes through that in their thirties. You know, like certain age points in our lives, we uh, we 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 grow or we uh, open up, you know, a little bit more to you know, other ways of, of living or other ways of understanding or, or looking at life through a, a different lens. And uh, she really helped with, with that. Uh, it turns out she was a, you know, she was a doctor, she was a psychologist. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and me and her were about as far apart as you could be, as far as people. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just the way we lived. But... Uh, our hearts were in the same place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, opposites can attract. It's, mm-hmm. it's more about what's in the inside than, than, than what's on the outside. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Awesome. I w- would love to talk and I would also love to hear your poetry. And so right now, if you're willing, I would love to have you share a few poems right now. Sure. Um, how many should I? Excuse me. How many should I? I think that's up to you, and I don't know if the lengths of your poems vary a lot. So it'll be your call on how many right now. But I, I would love to hear some of the poetry that's come from you, you know, as we've heard a little bit of your story that got you to writing. Okay. Um, I guess we'll start from the beginning. That's uh, the best place of any to, to start. And I never title my poems. I just kind of let the reader interpret, you know, instead of automatically giving it a label. So okay. I just want to get right into it. Let's see here. I throw pebbles at her window until her pale face, shrouded by blonde curls, would appear smiling with an index finger up, telling me to wait a sec. 
she come flying out the screen door, hair and father in tow, stumbling after her with an outstretched arm, grasping for the back of her sundress. Whiskey drunk, wearing stained fruit of the looms and a wife beater, screaming, get back here, you little... Now, is profanity okay? Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Screaming, get back here, you little fucking whore, or I'm going to kill you. We went into the wheat field, heart beating wild, our heads occasionally tearing, the golden stalks like deer running from a hunter toward a fort that built a fallen ground. And pin fighting I took from the neighbor's barn. We didn't speak of the things he did to her. Even then, I understood the eyes would tell you things the mind hid from the mouth. We spent our time creating a list of the things we'd need to run away and inking out an escape route inside the pages of an old Randy McNally road atlas I lifted from my pops. The rest of the time we spent running through the woods, laughing and laying on our backs while holding hands and stealing kisses on the cheek on the cheek as clouds our imagination shaped into an extravagant marriage ceremony in a castle on a faraway coast floated by. And when dusk settled on the timbles of Psychotas singing lonesome roadside songs, She'd tremble in my arms on the edge of the wheat field, knowing she'd soon have to face the pacing shadow behind the firelit window. And in silence, she carried her bravery to the front door and disappeared. She didn't make it out of that house alive. And her father claimed she'd fallen ill. And back then, no one in the hills questioned a child's death. But what I witnessed... The day I came to steal her away with pebbles in my hand, falling through my fingers one by one as I stood at her window, watching them stuff her in her garbage bag would become a splinter buried deep in my heart. Even the satisfaction of revenge couldn't push out. Wow. <clears throat> That's tragic and powerful and beautiful all at the same time. Thank you. Okay. Memphis stood naked in the center of our cell with a large white cup of fermented piss and shit in his right hand. Fucking CO thinks he can disrespect me, Memphis said. Say whatever he wants. Think these bars are going to keep him safe. I'm going to gas his punk ass. The echo of the CO's black tactical, tacticals continued to walk down the tier long after he'd stopped in front of our cell. Get your ass in your bunk, he barked. Fuck you, Memphis shot back as he stepped forward and underhanded the contents of the cup into the CO's open mouth and face. Memphis took a, took a couple steps back. I jumped off my bunk and began stripping off my clothes in preparation for what was coming. We waited with our t-shirts wrapped around our faces. 
Spoke his I looked over at Memphis and for a brief moment, just before the goon squad came crashing in, he smiled and began dancing beneath all 60 watts of artificial moonlight shining down from our concrete ceiling, as if he wasn't locked up at all, but a free man under the Tennessee skies he once called home with a girl named Maggie on his arm and a shiny nickel-plated forty-five, he'd already used to kill two men tucked into the back of his finely-pressed Levi's, with his only care in the world being, is she going to be able to tell I've never kissed a girl before? Wow. I'm sitting here going, hey, it's morning in my world that I'm listening to this intense poetry, which, you know, I mean, it's, there's so much packed into it, uh, but I also will say, I think I wasn't quite ready. <laughs> I might be I'm here sorry. <laughs> no apologies. It speaks to the power of your writing. It's, you know, there's so much that I imagine as I hear your words that it's horrifying on some levels and beautiful on some levels. And, you know, and yeah. that, that speaks yeah. to your talent with your words, man. Yeah. You might want to pour a little whiskey into your cup. <laughs> <laughs> I should, I should have warned you. Listeners out there, you might want to crack open the bush mills and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of funny stuff, so <laughs> crack out the bushmills and the Kleenex. So. All right, yeah, seriously, seriously. So, so yeah, you've been writing for about how long? Uh, about five years. Uh huh. Uh, six, yeah, not too long. I'm a baby <laughs> in the writing world. So, well, yeah. you. Your sense of, you know, it's only five years compared to some people's more, but, but your ability to pack in meaning in those words is impressive. And so, you know, when, when I think about that, say a little bit more about what the writing is like for you. I mean, you're writing about what you've shared so far, really intense experiences that can, can, people can experience in life um, that not everybody has, certainly, that but it's stuff that really happens, you know? So yeah. what, is, what is that like for you when you're actually writing? Um, you know, for me, it's, I don't know. I don't necessarily know if I have a process. You know, I, I carry mm-hmm. around a notebook and, and sometimes a smell or a face I see in the crowd because a lot of the people I write about have passed. You know, I've lost. A lot of friends over the years. Uh-huh. You know, I, I think I stopped counting at around forty. Um, and you know, for me, I guess it's it just becomes a thought, you know, or a memory. And uh, I'll jot down the line, and, and I'll sit down and write it. And sometimes it's painful to write about. You know, sometimes uh-huh. I have to I have to stop. Uh-huh. And um, I have to come back to it later because it's hard. It brings back more memories uh-huh. um, about these people that I loved very dearly and mm-hmm. that I 
I learned a lot from. Uh-huh. Um, so times it can be, you know, very difficult. But other other times it's not. It just kind of flows out of me. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like with each poem, there's a almost like a brick that is uh, taken off. Uh-huh. You know, that's removed from my my shoulder. Uh-huh. You know, that that relieves me a little bit. Yeah. So is is most of your poetry then stories about people who've been in your life? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say a vast majority of it is, you know, either situations I've been in or, or about people who have uh, went on to the other side, caught the uh-huh. westbound train out. Uh-huh. Um, and they don't have voices, so I try to offer a little bit of a, a glimpse, but I also don't try to, to, to glorify their life in a way that's not true. Uh-huh. I mean, they live the life that they chose, and, uh-huh. and they write about that life. And, uh-huh. you know, it may not be like an obituary where it's all nice things to say. Uh-huh. You know, but it's the truth. So, you know, I I just prefer that, and I think they would prefer that as well. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, so you very much are writing from experience, though. Like you said, it's it's stories. Really, from I say stories because that's the way I experience poetry. Is there's a sound to it that's distinct from reading. To reading something that's written as a story, but but I, I I hear and experience both what to me is the story as well as the sound um, that's distinct about poetry. Um, so so things from your life, things from the lives of people who you've known, and you know, like for me, hearing how personal your writing is, I. I think it takes a lot of bravery to put that out into the world, you know, to, to let people read things that are so deeply a part of you because they're literally your experiences directly and with people who you loved, who have died. Um, so yeah. and I admire you for, for being willing to do that because I do think it's a gift to those people who experience your work. I appreciate that, and I and I feel like people, you know, they deserve to see. I mean, there's another side of life that a lot of people don't live. You know, there's almost an underbelly, the outskirts. Mm-hmm. You know that a lot of people don't live, and the people that do live, um, you know, um, that come out on the other side alive um, often have a lot of issues, you know, I mean, it's like surviving a war, you know, a lot of them have PTSD and night terrors and just a lot of uh, terrible things. So there's, you know, there's, there's a handful of us that kind of came out almost unscathed. I mean, all of us came out a little screwed up. <laughs> you know, I, I still have night terrors and I definitely have PTSD. Um, from living that life, um, so 
I think it's important for others to know, you know, to see this other side and and for them to know that not everyone is 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 a monster, you know. Yeah. yeah. Or just a drug dealer or just a prostitute or, you know, they have other parts that you know, they're people too. Yeah. You know. Just uh so I think it's important for others to be able to read that and, and to yeah. understand and yeah. get a little glimpse into that side of, of life. Yeah. So I, I wanna ask you separate from your writing. So what what are some of the things that are things that that do nourish you that you know you said you you lived a really hard life and and the timing was right when you met this person who really helped you believe in yourself and and uh, that you've made a lot of changes and you've added writing poetry to to the things that are important to you what other kinds of things you know I, I'm I'm I don't know whether, you know, like, do you have a cat that you adore? You know, I mean, just life things. What are some of the things in your life? Um, you know, I mean, I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's important to me. And then outreach work when I can, which surprisingly enough, and it baffles me, but, uh, I mean, if you're a convicted son, there's a lot of outreach, outreach work you can't do. Uh-huh. Which I don't understand. I mean, I understand if you've been convicted of harming a child, you can work around a child, or harming a woman, you can work around women, you know, or things of that nature. But those are never any of the crimes that I committed, you know. Uh-huh. So that's kind of frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, wanting wanting to give back uh, to the community and not being able to do so just because I'm a convicted felon. That's it's very uh-huh. frustrating frustrating but uh you know when i can i do try to help uh, i do try to do volunteer work um sometimes down at the animal shelter i'll go down there and help out and that's really important to me and, and really just showing kindness and yeah. understanding to the people i meet in day-to-day life you yes. know sitting down and talking to somebody that uh is going through a hard time, you know, yeah. and just listening to them because a yeah. lot of people they don't they don't get listened to, you know, they get right. passed by on the street, maybe a little change thrown in their cup, but God bless you, then they move on to their lives and and they don't get hurt. They don't get to talk to somebody and, right. and oftentimes they can be in relationships where it's the same thing, you know, they're with yeah. somebody that doesn't really hear them, that could be abusive. Yeah. Um so I try to, you know, show people kindness when I can, you know, the mm-hmm. people that I come across and, yeah. and just listen to their story. Yeah. You know, See, I love and, that. I love that. And that's, that's so much who I am too. And I, and I think about things like, you know, as you said, it's, it's showing kindness to people who you encounter in your life. Not that you only do this with people who you're already super close to. And, and it made me think about, you know, being at a local grocery where one of the things they sell are tortillas that they that they bake at this that they cook at this store, and and I I noticed this older gentleman with this cool hat and and he was 
looking at this variety of brands of tortillas. And so I just said, oh, man, have you ever tried the ones from here? Because they really are good. And, and this, this whole tortilla conversation led to about literally 10 minutes of him telling me first about his first wife who had died of cancer, but who made the best tortillas ever in his whole life, you know, and, and so he told me about yeah. his wife and her tortillas and the, her sickness and then what happened next. And, and we just stood there in the aisle of this grocery and he shared these things about his life. And it was so cool. I mean, I felt so honored that he would tell me these things. And, and also, you know, I thought, I've I've brought a smile to this guy's face, and I love that too. You know, we need to do more yeah. of those things. I'm totally with you on that. Yeah, it's, and it's the truth. And there's so many of us in society that wear masks. When we step out of our front door, we 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 put on this mask, you know. But there's so many of us that are lonely, and you know, like just truly lonely, and. And we wouldn't know it until we stop and talk to people. And, uh-huh. you know, it, it really, to me, it concerns me of how um, almost, I don't know if disassociated is the right word, we've become with one another uh-huh. um, because of fear, um, because of technology, because of anxiety, you know, but... It's just, I just feel like it's so important to, you know, if you see somebody that lets down that guard of, of wearing that mask, just to talk to them, to say, hey, how's your day going, you know, and, and um, ask them if they want to have a cup of coffee and talk, you know, and you'd be surprised yeah. how many people are willing to do that and how thankful they are and, and what you could have prevented, you know, I mean, you never know what you could have prevented. Yeah, you know, just from sitting down and and, and letting them know that the world isn't a cool place, yeah. and that there are good people who are interested in you, and yeah. you don't have to be lonely, you know. And mm-hmm. I just think it's it's important to reach out to more to our fellow human beings, yeah. especially in this day and age. Yeah, you know, any way we can. So. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of times I'll, when I had a chapbook, I had a chapbook out for a while and I would stand out there and I would hustle on them on the street. Uh-huh. And uh, part of it was, you know, just have a chapbook and you get my work out there, but a big part of it was to be able to talk to people uh-huh. that I generally wouldn't be able to talk to. And that uh-huh. piece of poetry was a way I could approach them because myself, I mean, if you saw me on public, I'm not a very approachable guy. You know, I'm, I got a lot of scars, you know, I've had my throat slit, I've got scars on my face, you know, I'm tattooed, I'm big, I mean, a lot of people don't approach me, but, you know, or they may clutch their purse if I go to approach them. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, once we get to talking, you know, I mean, it's it's a different story, so uh-huh. it was, it's good to have something like that as a as a barrier to, to, to break the barrier uh-huh. and uh, be able to talk to people, so, yeah. yeah. Do you do many readings? Like, are you somebody who goes to certain poetry events, whether it's open mic or as features? I mean, are you are you in front of people sharing your poetry? I now? was in uh-huh. Spokane. Yeah, I was uh-huh. just kind of taken off um, when I had left Spokane. And I was just, uh, that's a whole other story. Um, but I left Spokane, 
and um, and I moved out west to Asheville. And since I've been here and kind of moving around different places, I really haven't done too many readings. Um, I'm just at a point where I'm really searching um, for something more inside myself and, and, and trying to understand more of what my purpose is. Um, I definitely wouldn't say I'm in some midlife crisis. I'm just, uh, I'm just trying to dig as deep as I can. And, um, you know, the open road has always been a source of, of relaxation for me in a place where I'm capable of meditating, you know, and, and, uh, opening myself to different situations and, and different people. So I will be moving back to Spokane in about a year. And when I get back there, I will be doing more, um, you know, readings again, because at at that time I was doing readings and I had done a radio interview and it opened up for Buddy Wakefield. And, uh, oh, interesting. You reached out to me. It's like, whoa, how weird is that? Buddy Wakefield just um, sort of out of the blue reached out to me because he's going to be in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was that was in Spokane. And they had actually asked me if I'd open up for him. And I was like, well, we're completely a different artist. You know, I'm uh-huh. a page. I'm a page person. He's a more of a stage artist. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh-huh. I admire his work, and I'd, I'd love to open up for him. So very cool. Very cool. Not to be a very uh, good experience. So. so what what is it about Asheville? What what's makes Asheville a good place for you to be? Well, you know, ten years ago when I was here, I really loved the city, and um, it was a very charming, quaint, quiet place. I lived up in the mountains. Um, and, and now it's not, yeah. <laughs> I found that it's, it's changed quite a bit. There's something like 9 million tourists that come through here every year, which the infrastructure doesn't support. And it's just kind of craziness and it's lost its charm. Uh-huh. Um, there's still a lot of good things about it. There's great music, um, uh-huh. but. Uh, it's definitely not somewhere where I'll be staying. And like I said, I ramble quite a bit too. I'm I'm kind of all over the place. So mm-hmm. Asheville's just kind of my home base at the moment. But um, yeah, what it brought me here was was my memory of the place. Um, and there were some people that were very dear to me that that did live here, but I found out they since passed away from suicide and drug overdoses. Oh, um, sad. I'm sorry. So, you know, it's uh, definitely lost its charm. Uh-huh. But uh, really, it's, I'm working on a book of poetry that I want to get done. I've been working on it for <laughs> four years, but uh, I'd like to get the poetry done and published if I can move on to short stories. Uh-huh. Um, right. I'm also in this, this period of my life for. Help me accomplish that. Okay. So is that is that part of the goal that before you leave Asheville, you'll have done the the poetry that you want for this book? Uh, well, I just wondered if you said you it'd be about a year before you head back to Spokane. So I wondered if if your goal is to have the collection of poetry finished before you yeah yes. yeah. That's definitely a big goal of mine. Um, 
and that's uh, something I'm kind of determined to do. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. I would say now would be a great time if you're willing to share some more poetry. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Jolena had a dope habit the size of the city she lived in. They kept the tally of each of the meals she failed to provide the child growing inside of her by counting the track marks running the length of each arm. The doctor said it was placental insufficiency, but Jelena knew it was a punishment from a god she learned of from a Baptist pulpit or fire and brimstone rain down from the preacher's mouth. Sunday afternoons, clear and blue, like the lips of the stillborn baby she kissed. Uh-huh. And laid in the shoebox, she placed her in bed where she sang the old-time gospel song, I'll meet you on that other shore, just before she spiked the vein, one last time. Ooh. That's, yeah. Man, that's that's a hard one. Another end child. Uh, here you know, and as as I say that, they're hard stories, and you've shared they're they're stories of people that have been important in your life who've passed. And when I think about that, I always think about my friend Craig Miller, who died when we were in our twenties, and his death was from AIDS-related illnesses. And he knew when he finally let people know what was going on. And one of the things he said is, I don't want to be forgotten. He said, that was scary. Dying wasn't as scary as being forgotten. And so, so you're, you're keeping people's stories out there is so important, I think. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I, I feel like a lot of us live with that fear of being forgotten. I don't... Um, Yes, that's not something I've really ever struggled with, but I know it's it's definitely uh, you know a common fear among a lot of people. But you know, to me, um, <clears throat> death is it's just the beginning. You know, it's it's not the end. It's just uh-huh. just a uh, it's just an open door. So, yeah. And but yeah. the the forgotten thing I think about in the context of things that you shared about your experience and your friend's experience and how now you are one of those people who will look somebody in the eye and and talk and listen, you know, a lot of people do live lives where they are very overlooked, where literally they are overlooked, where literally people do not look them in the eye, do not talk to them. They're pretty ignored. And so that, to me, that concept of, being forgotten is unfortunately in a lot of ways how a lot of people live um, not just how they die. Uh, yeah and we, and we can change that i mean that one of the things that you said and I, I i love is that we can show kindness and understanding to people who we encounter in life as we're 
walking to and from some places, you know, whatever we're doing, those times when we're out and, and encounter other people, then we can be the one who looks somebody in the eye and says hello. And, and yeah. conversations may start. And that may be a huge gift to somebody. And if they don't want to engage, that's fine. No loss in having offered. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that from, from personal experience, from uh-huh. being somebody who others wouldn't look in the eye. Uh-huh. You know, I, I know that feeling. Uh-huh. And I know that feeling of just feeling like nothing, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm, I'm no more important than this pigeon hobbling in front of me, you yeah. know, like, you know, I, I definitely know that feeling and I've also experienced um, what it does to me when, when people have shown me kindness. Uh-huh. And I've never forgotten those people, you know. All right. So it really makes a difference. And I want to know what makes you laugh. I want to know what what's fun for you. Well, uh, <laughs> um, I'm I'm actually rather not. I'm, I'm kind of a funny guy. I, I'm <laughs> usually my my poems. Um, it's it's a very different side of me. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know. I guess day-to-day absurdities just make me laugh. Uh-huh. You know, the things that people get worked up over, or, you know, just funny incidences. I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. I mean, I uh, I let this dog out. I was visiting my grandma, and I let her dog out, and came into the bathroom, and he was so excited to come in, and I just washed the, washed the windows there, and he ran full bore into that one and thinking the door was open <laughs> and he just kind of sat there and kind of swaggered and I oh man just you know I guess I'm, I'm no different than anybody um, um you know um just just the little things but especially the absurdities of of what people get worked up over um Kind of uh-huh. made me giggle uh-huh. a little bit, you know. I mean, what's what's important and what's not. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so. So do you, do you have yeah. any any interests that are on the mundane side? Like, oh, actually, I love to play baseball. You know what I mean? Like, are there are there things that people might go? Wait a minute, this guy with the tats and the scars also does this. Um. <clears throat> No, not necessarily. I mean, I'm I'm really in it, interested, and in, I've been learning to play the claw hammer banjo, and then um, something that I don't really share too often, but uh, I'm really, really interested in past life regression, uh-huh. um, and it's something I've kind of started to dabble in. Uh-huh. Um, I've started reading up on it, and uh, it's intriguing to me. Uh-huh. And uh, I just happen to be in the perfect place for for something of that nature. You know, Asheville's pretty progressive when it comes to stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'm I'm really interested in music and uh, poetry and and uh, things things like that. But uh-huh. Music, poetry, motorcycles, and traveling. 
Banjo and past life regression, huh? <laughs> and and cooking and baking. Cooking, cooking, okay. <laughs> and baking, yeah. Most people wouldn't think they could see me in an apron baking a <laughs> a, a piece of lemon bread, but I can I can make a mean piece of lemon bread, and I can make some mean cupcakes. I am that serious. Yeah, I have no problem throwing on a floral apron and going to town. <laughs> yeah, no problem doing it whatsoever. Yeah. All right. So, so who did you learn to bake from? I actually went to culinary school. Oh, One man, of the things I, I did that. later in life. Okay. Yeah, I went to WCI out in Portland, Western Culinary Institute. Uh-huh. Um, and then I worked in kitchens. Um, so, yeah, passion was a, uh, cooking was a big passion of mine. Um, cooking and horses. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, I've worked on quite a few ranches over the years, uh, just when I was drifting. Uh-huh. So, <clears throat> Yeah, interesting. But I like bringing a smile to people's faces, you know. And I feel yeah. like, you know, I don't, I don't care who you are. If you eat a, eat a piece of that lemon bread, it's like <laughs> you know, you're gonna smile when you eat it, and that makes me happy. Yeah, my so. poetry, my poetry may make you cry, but my lemon bread will make you smile. <laughs> it'll make you, yeah, it'll make you smile. <laughs> Just don't do both at the same time. That's all. (laughs) You might have a little bit of a breakdown or, you know, a situation that would make me laugh hysterically. So so I wonder, like, when you get this book together, I wonder, I'm thinking about, you know, what your title of your book might be and if somehow the the cupcakes become part of the title. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's what I should do. I should put a cupcake with a toe tag on it or something. (laughs) You could accompany poems with recipes. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a brilliant idea. I I will write a poem about prison life and then I will make a recipe there for for homemade ramen for prison ramen underneath it or a cupcake a cream cheese homemade cupcake i have a friend who's in jail who's been in jail for about a year now awaiting this this trial thing and it's a it's also sad because it really all relates to him feeling suicidal and his name is Tegan and I love Tegan and he's this wonderful person. But anyway, so so we write letters. We write letters. I write to him every week and you know and and in his oh, it's the last it's the last letter from him. He says how he'd had a really good week. Like some of the other guys had invited him to share in in jailhouse nachos. And he goes, You want to know what those are? <laughs> and it's like mm-hmm. it's Doritos with uh-huh. water added to this cheese stuff and slim jams and dill pickles or something. It's like, oh my god! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! We'd have spreads in there and the things that you get used to. Because I spent a number of years in there. But we're get creative, man. I mean, people get creative. I saw him make 
make cake out of some things you just would not think of. I think when I left, I had a, they threw a going away party for me and I had a, it was a honey bun cake. It was uh-huh. a cake made of honey buns uh-huh. and icing scraped off different sorts of sweets and it had Skittles on it and M&M's and I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm a later diabetic. Um, but it was, it was an interesting spread. Um, I know I had heartburn from the whatever sausage they put in the casserole they made. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. <laughs> I mean, you got nothing but time on your hands in there, so uh-huh. you can you can either create or you can get into trouble. And uh, uh-huh. there's some there's some decent cooks in there and some good tattoo <laughs> artists. So <laughs> yes, yeah, so yeah. here you go. Who knows what will end up in this book that you're writing now? <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> never know. I might share my lemon bread recipe. <laughs> It is coveted. A lot of people love that lemon bread. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very cool. Well, there you go. We got to yet another side of James Decay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not all serious. <laughs> I like to like to bake in my leather. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> And you mentioned motorcycles. Like, do you have a, a bike that you ride now, or is that something that? Uh, yeah, I've got a. It's a FXR. Uh, it's a hard a ninety-one Harley FXR thirteen forty cc. Uh, it's kind of like a street bob. Um, it's a it's a tough little bike. Uh huh. So I definitely love motorcycles. Uh-huh. Um, anything is that? Is that your your travel? Like when you move from Asheville to Spokane, will that be on that bike, or is that? Yeah, it'll be on the bike. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll either on the bike. I don't travel much. I'll strap a pack to the back of it and a bed roll on it, and I'll sleep mm-hmm. wherever I can. You know, wherever I can start a campfire, and I'll just make my way across country slowly. Uh-huh. Uh I'll figure it out when I get there. Yeah. Do you have certain kinds of nature that you crave? Like, are there certain places, types of places that you really need to spend time at to restore your soul? Mountains, oceans? Yeah, I mean, the, um, definitely the ocean. Um, the ocean has always been very close to my heart. You know, when I, <clears throat> I left home at a very young age, and uh-huh. I think we traveled when I stole that car. Um <laughs> <laughs> we we the only thing I really remember is, is getting caught in a tornado, which ripped uh-huh. out the back window. Yikes! And then, which is in and I've been to Lawrence, Kansas several oh, times. Okay. Yeah, one of my favorite bands is from around there, Split Up Rayfield. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I love those guys. I was so sad when um, I think it was Mike Roundstrom, the guitar player, passed away uh-huh. from lung cancer. Um, I was so sad when that happened, but I've been to Lawrence several times, um, and I love it there. I thought about moving there. Um, it's such a great place. There's a lot of good um, stuff in here. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I've always had amazing experiences there and met a lot of great people. Um, but, yeah, the ocean, that's what I remember driving through. The ocean and the mountains and the desert. Uh-huh. Um, I worked out in the, between Winslow and Flagstaff on the desert for a year, and uh, I had this one-eyed horse named Bly. Um and I would ride him up to these plateaus and just sit there and stare at the stars all night. Um, and definitely the ocean. When I when I saw that car when I was a kid, the first place I went to California. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it was actually, it was Oregon, I'm sorry. And I went way out to like, uh, I think it was Newport Beach or somewhere, and to wherever they make Tillamook, the Tillamook Cheese Factory huh. out there. And I kept going to the ocean and I was just mesmerized by it. Yeah. So... I, I really love the ocean. It does something to me. And yeah. we've researched our family history, and we actually come from pirates. So cool. Makes sense. Got salt water <laughs> in the blood. <laughs> Baking pirates, if you can believe that. <laughs> when they weren't out scourging the scourging the the seas, they were at home baking lemon bread for their wives. They had everybody fooled. <laughs> yeah, so we, yeah, we've got salt water in the blood, salt water and flour. So, there you go. Yeah. Another recipe to come in this upcoming book of poetry. <laughs> Pirates and lemon bread and stealing cars. Who knows? Yeah, I've lived quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, how about some more poetry? Sure. uh, Let's see here. We rode in silence for the better part of an hour. I shouldn't have bought them flowers, I said. I think they're nice, she said, turning them in her hand. Of course you fucking do, I snapped. She became silent and stared out the passenger window at the barren landscape, pitted and deeply scarred by recent rains. When are you going to learn, James, she said. What's that, I asked. That I'm not the enemy, she said, and that I love you in spite of all that you've done in your life. I'll continue to love you in spite of all the things you've yet to do. I know the man you are and the man you wish to be, even if you don't. I tightened my grip around the steering wheel and continued in silence. The blinker clacked loudly in the space of the cab as I turned left and continued down a county road until we came upon a small, unassuming cemetery atop a hill. I put the car in park, shut off the engine, and removed the 38 from my waistband. I held it in my palm and stared at it for a moment. I'm tired, baby, I said. She placed her hand over the gun, locked her fingers around mine, and gently kissed each of my fingertips. She took the gun, handed me the flowers, and motioned toward the tombstones. 
jutting from the hill as if they were the spine of a great giant folded in prayer beneath the earth. I climbed the hill and looked around until I found his graves. I leaned the roses against the granite, sat down and began telling him all the things I was too proud to tell. While he was still alive, riding by my side, willing to die. Wow. A lot in there, you and those people around you. Yeah. Well, so much for laughing about lemon bread. <laughs> that's powerful. No, that's that. See, that to me is wonderful. That that gift that you have of, okay, let's get you right here. Let's get your attention. Hear this story. Hear these people. Think about what this means. You know, in your own life, with people that you know. You know that being open to to the different aspects of people. You know, the, the part of that yeah. poem where that person is telling you, I love you, whatever you do, whatever you will do, whatever you have done. And that's that's a powerful statement for people to think about, because I know there are a lot of people who think, oh, man, I'm longing for that in my life. I don't know that I have anybody like that in my life, but it can happen. And that's a good thing to know. Yeah, it can. And um you know, I've been fortunate to, to have that happen throughout my life. Um, you know, I've, I've come across several people um, that I've been with that have been very accepting of, of who I was, and they didn't care about what I did. They just uh-huh. saw, you know, the person that I was when, when we closed the door. You know, the guy that got married when he made the lemon bread. You know, uh, you know, there's just a different side of me. I didn't show the world that I couldn't uh-huh. show because of uh-huh. the people that I ran with. You know? uh-huh. Weakness wasn't allowed. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I, I kept it bottled up. Uh-huh. Um, but I've been very fortunate to, to have some people that have genuinely loved me um, mm-hmm. for for who I was. Yeah. And, and that can really over the years that can really change someone. Yes. You know. It really can. I mean when they experience uh genuine love and they didn't yeah. experience it as a child, you know, it, yeah. It's something that can really, you know, have a profound effect on somebody. Yeah. You know, love is is really what I believe what the core of life is about. You know, that's uh-huh. what it's about. It's about love. Yeah. Know? So. Well, on that note, I can't imagine any better message to our listeners. Love is what it's about. Yeah. Well, James, thank you for joining me for a talk with me. Thank you, Brenton Booth, for publishing Asylum Floor and including James Decay work, which is how I ended up finding James to share with our listeners. This has been a wonderful journey of <clears throat> intense life stories and levity in all the meanings. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you to Brent and for including me in this project. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to Daniel Smith for producing the show and making it available for people to hear. So, folks, look for James Dickey. He may be in Asheville now. He'll be back in Spokane. And hopefully in a year or so, there's going to be this book. Who knows what the cover is going to be? Who knows what the title is going to be? Who knows if the secret lemon bread recipe will really be there? But you'll have to keep watching to find out. So look for James on Facebook. Thank you. Thank you so much. And so long to our listeners. Goodbye.